You're listening to a local church podcast hosted by my dad, Pastor Ryan Marco. Be sure to leave a review and share this resource. Love God, love people, make disciples. Hey, welcome back to a local church podcast. It is midweek, Wednesday, and there's a lot going on here at our local church, Mount Moriah Baptist Church. We are centrally located between Shelby County, Spencer County, and Anderson County. And if you want to know more about what we do, check out www.mmbcky.org. That's where you can find all the information about Mount Moriah Baptist Church. But on Wednesday, midweek, we have a 6 o'clock meal free for everybody. Everybody that shows up gets a free meal, 6 o'clock. It's amazing. It's a time of fellowship, time to eat really good food. Uh, tonight is taco night. Uh, but at 6.40, we break out into small groups. We have a kids uh, group, we have students, and we have adults. And we dive into the Word of God as adults. I lead the adult group. We typically look at the background context, the background passages leading up to our Sunday morning message. This week is a little bit different. I, I want to stop here uh, and just remind you, if you're not in the Word of God, you're not going to experience the presence of God in your life. So we have a Bible reading plan on our website. I've already given you that. Go check that out. Uh, we walk through Scripture. This year's reading plan is kind of like chronological reading we are in the Gospels right now. We've just uh, read through the crucifixion of Jesus, the climax of the Christian faith, that without the death of Christ on the cross, sins will not be forgiven. Uh, not only did he die, he was buried, and he rose again uh, to new life, showing the power of God uh, for salvation to everyone who believes in the Son of God, Jesus, uh, who bears our sin on the cross. He pays our sin debt. Uh, and he conquers sin and death. It's it's a beautiful picture. It's the gospel. And I want to encourage you, if you're not reading the Bible, read the Bible. Today, I want to look at a passage that I found in Ezra. Ezra chapter 7, verse 10, and it says this. For Ezra had devoted himself to the study and observance of the law of the Lord and to teaching its decree and laws in Israel. Now, if you don't know anything about Ezra... Uh, and the book of Nehemiah, uh, Chronicles, Zechariah, uh, Haggai. These are all of the books that were written after the time of the Babylonian exile. So the people are returning to Jerusalem, and then Ezra is on the scene. He begins to rebuild the temple and the wall, and it is amazing. They find the scriptures, the people repent, and Ezra here is described as someone who has devoted himself to study, and observance of the law of the Lord, and to its teachings and decree in Israel. Now, if anyone could have found an excuse to walk away from God, it would have been Ezra. Ezra was a part of this exile, the Babylonian exile. And because of this experience, he could have easily wondered, like, where are you, God? Like, where God was in the time of the exile? And if you look around the world today, people might ask the same question, like, where is God amidst the uh, atrocities, the evil that we see in the world? Check out Israel, right? Uh, people have asked the question to me, Pastor, why is God allowing such evil to go on in the world around us? And I want to kind of pause here for a second 
if there were no God, if he didn't exist, and if he wasn't constraining evil, how much more evil would there be in the world? For many, they turn to self-help books. They turn to so-called experts. They check out CNN or Fox News or or whatever to try to figure out what's going on and how to fix the problem. But Ezra devoted himself to three habits, three things, three things I want to kind of share with you uh, today. One, studying scripture. Two, observance of scripture. And three, teaching of scripture. The way in which we examine these three areas can affect our lives and how we experience scripture, even how we experience the world around us, how we filter the things that are happening through a worldview, a Christian worldview. Uh, the recent um, Speaker of the House, Mike Johnson, came out and said, I have been asked what I believe on certain topics. And he says, go check out the Bible. Go read the Bible. That's my worldview. And a ton of people have come against what Mike Johnson is saying. He's saying, there's no such thing as a biblical worldview. There's no such thing as a Christian worldview. And I want to say, my friends, if you're listening, there is. Everyone has a worldview. How is our worldview affected or how is our worldview uh, shaped, right? One, the family you grew up in. Your mom and dad passed down traditions, passed down things that they knew and they taught you. And as a kid, you grew up doing the same things, thinking the same way, uh, saying the same things. Not only does our family affect our worldview, but the people we hang out with affect our worldview. Maybe they're your coworkers, maybe your uh, peers at school, maybe uh, whoever you uh, associate with on a regular basis, they affect your worldview as well. Also, what you're reading, if you're reading certain authors, certain books, certain types of books, these have an effect on our worldview as well. If you're reading the Bible, it will affect how you view the world around you. And I would encourage you, it is good to have a biblical understanding of what is happening in the world. As we see things on the news, as we see things play out in our administration, in our government, you can have one or two ways to react. One is just total abandonment of anything uh, rational, and you just, you just follow along with the flow, follow along with whatever news media outlet you watch or follow along with what all of your friends are saying. Or the second is filter everything that you see, everything that you hear through the word of God, right? This affected the way in which Ezra lived his life. It's affected. Uh, it could affect the way you live your life. There are many verses in the Bible about each of these three areas, studying, observance, and teaching. So the following, it's not going to be exhaustive, right? I'm not going to give you an exhaustive list. Um, by any means, uh, this is just some encouragement for you today during your midweek. All right, so the first thing, Ezra studied Scripture. So what does it mean to study Scripture? I want to encourage you to go to gotquestions.org. I've used this resource a lot. There are a lot of good, helpful tools, helpful tips uh, at this website. Uh, but one is they say this about studying Scripture. Knowing how to study the Bible is important. Gotcha. Thank you. Uh because, they say, determining the meaning of Scripture is one of the most important tasks a believer has in this life. God does not tell us that we must simply read the Bible. We must study it and handle it correctly, 2 Timothy 2.15. So how do we study Scripture? What is studying Scripture all about? And why would we do it? Like, why would believers, why would we want to know and become uh, 
uh, skillful at understanding the Word of God, understanding what the Word of God is saying, uh, because one, we've we're encouraged in the New Testament to test everything that we hear. So, as your pastor, uh, as a pastor, not your pastor, if you're listening, if you're not a member of this church, but as a pastor, as I am preaching and teaching the Word of God, I encourage those who are listening to write notes, take notes down to see if what I'm saying is true. How do I know it's true? Based on the word of God. Now, that sounds really simple, but unless I understand the word of God, unless I dig into the word of God, it's going to be really hard for me to test the things that I hear, to test the things that I see. So as I'm watching the news, as I'm listening to folks, as I'm even listening to my friend group, right, or even my family, how do I know what they're saying is true? How do I know what they're saying is helpful or beneficial? Uh, you have to know the word of God. Gotquestions.org gives three things to do. They say, first, the one who would study the Bible must pray and ask the Holy Spirit to impart understanding. Now, this is key. Jesus says to his followers in John 16, 13, but when he, the spirit of truth, the Holy Spirit comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. If you are a believer and you're starting to read or study the Bible seriously, ask God, the Holy Spirit, for understanding. That is where we get to know the Bible. That is where we get to know God. That is how we come to understand the Bible. You can go to seminary. You can read all the books in the world, and you can be uh, ignorant in the Word of God. If you Seek God and ask for wisdom. He will give you wisdom. If you seek the Holy Spirit for understanding of the word of God in the season, in the time that you need to understand and in the time that you need to grow in the Bible, he will give you understanding, period. That's where our understanding comes from. Now, is seminary good? Yes. Is Bibles, uh, 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 books on the Bible, are those good? Absolutely, sure. Uh, but to get to know the word of God, to to apply it, to understand it, that comes from the Holy Spirit. Second, they say to study the Bible properly, we cannot pull one verse out at a time um, and try to determine the meaning of the entire book or the entire passage. If you're taking verses out of context, it's going to be really easy for you to use them incorrectly or even uh, wrongfully or, or hurtfully to, to others. As we study the Bible, we don't just pull one verse out and say, I'm just going to really study this one verse and neglect the passage, neglect the chapter, neglect the book, neglect the testament that it's in, you've got to understand the context of that verse. And usually it's the entire book or it's the entire chapter. It's the entire section. It's where it's found in history. It's where it's found in the testaments. Um, there, there, there's a lot to it. And so as I'm reading the Bible, I will read a section over and over and over again. As I'm preparing for a sermon, I don't just read one verse and say, man, I really want this one verse to be the sermon. I read the passage that I'm using, and I'm going to be reading that over and over and over again. I'm going to be underlining, highlighting, taking notes, uh, putting questions in the margins like, what does this mean? What does this word mean? Or how is this used in context? Or what's going on in the history uh, surrounding this passage? And so don't just take one verse out, uh, but read the chapter, read the book uh, itself. And the third thing that Got Question says is to study the Bible properly, we should not think of ourselves as totally independent in our analysis of the text. Now, that says a lot, but uh, they say it is arrogant to think that we cannot gain understanding through the lifelong work of others who have studied the scripture. Now, here's where I wanted you to be very careful. 
I, th- I believe they're pointing to commentaries or they're pointing to other folks that have uh, studied and read through uh, the Bible and kind of put some thoughts down on paper. Here's, here's the encouragement and here's the warning. I'll start with the warning first. The warning is like as we pick like devotional books up off the shelf or we, we, we really those devotional journals, things like that, I tend to stay away from those. It's because those devotionals usually are uh, one man or one woman's experience as they study the Word of God, as they have leaned on the uh, the Holy Spirit for understanding, uh, and they're putting these things down. But that I believe those devotional type books, they're written like as a personal study, as a personal walk with God. And you may not pick up on what they're knowing at that time. That season may not be the time that the God, the Holy Spirit, has for you to understand what's happening. You can write your own devotional for yourself. You can read the scripture, ask the Holy Spirit for understanding, and then begin to write the things down that uh, is are impressed on your heart. Now, those impressed on your heart things are, hopefully, the truths of God. Now, if God is impressing on you something that is contradictory to his word, uh, as in, like, man, I really feel like, right, uh, I should um, uh, read the Quran for more understanding of God. If that's what's being impressed on your heart, that's not from God. That's not the Holy Spirit, right? God's going to impress on you the things of his word uh, so that you can apply them, so you can live the life that he's called you to live. Now, the encouragement or the warning uh, continued, uh, commentaries. Now, look, I use commentaries a lot as I study, as I get prepared for sermons, but I don't solely depend on a commentary. Again, most commentaries that I use are uh, sermon-like commentaries where someone has already preached through a passage and they've compiled kind of their sermons in commentary form uh, for that. And I'll say uh, there's a plethora of commentaries. There's a plethora of people that have written commentaries. You can go online and Google what's the meaning of this passage and you'll get a million answers. Who's right? Who's wrong? I'll say this. As you're praying to God, as you're praying uh, to the Holy Spirit to give you understanding of the Word of God, He's going to impart on to you the knowledge, the truth, the wisdom that comes from the Word of God, that comes from God, that you can understand it. As you begin to look at all these things online and commentaries, it could become overwhelming. And then at one point you may just say, you know what, I'm just going to copy you know, word for word verbatim all these guys and all these texts and all these websites and things like that. Uh, but again, if you do that, it's not going to impress anything upon your heart. You're not going to apply those things. It's just somebody else's word, somebody else's study, and it's just not going to click, right? It's not going to, um, um, you won't carry it with you throughout the day. If you are alone with God and you ask God for understanding as you read just a section or a passage or a chapter of the Bible and begin to write down your thoughts, write down the things that uh, maybe you you pull from other passages that sound familiar that 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 God begins to bring up in your life. That's where true study begins to come from. You'll be able to apply it. You'll be able to remember it. Right. Um, I'm not a, a a scripture memorization. I don't like. I've tried in the past to kind of take a verse and just kind of repeat it over and over and over again. But usually, I will remember verses more when I are in my personal time, just writing them down, writing the verse down that I want to memorize. Uh, and then ask God for clarification. Ask God for understanding of the scriptures. And so Ezra, the first thing he does is study scripture, right? That's 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 a habit that all believers uh, should have. Uh, there's a text in Acts 17, 11. It says this, The Berean Jews were more uh, of, of more noble character than those in Thessalonica. 
for they received the message from the apostles, right, the gospel, uh, with great eagerness and examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. As you're listening to sermons, as you're listening to teachers of the Bible, go back to the Bible, ask God for understanding, and to seek to see if what they say is true, if it's from Scripture, if it if it uh, is complementary to Scripture, not contradictory uh, to Scripture. The second thing uh, Ezra does is observance. He observes uh, observance of the Scriptures. James 1, 22 through 25 is a beautiful passage. It's a perfect passage for this section. I want to read it, and then we'll jump into kind of some of the th- thoughts on this. This is for observance. Uh, James 1, 22 says this, Do not merely listen to the word, and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in the mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. Here's the encouragement. May we be people that not only hear the word and study the word of God, but that we apply it to our lives. This is key for us as we make decisions on a daily basis, as we uh, begin to make uh, uh, build relationships, as we begin to how we talk to one another, how we how we de- decide on how we spend our money, right? All these things. Like if I just study the Bible and be like, man, I got a lot of head knowledge, but I don't apply it. I'm not very wise, and I won't be wise. God has given us His Word not only to study it to understand who he is, but also to apply it to understand how he has called us to live our lives. If we read the Bible or study the Bible and walk away and not do it, it's as if, like James says, we look into a mirror and we turn and we forget our own face. Ezra studied the scriptures. He uh, uh, maintained observance of the scriptures. And then he also taught the scriptures or teaching of the scriptures. Acts 2.42, this is the early church, right after the Holy Spirit, who gives wisdom, uh, who also empowers the believers to be witnesses, uh, comes upon them. And in Acts 2.42, the early church begins to grow. And it says this, they devoted, they is the church, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Now, they devoted themselves to what? Teaching, the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, hanging out, uh, in godly brothers and sisters, uh, and the breaking of bread. That's communion. The early church devoted themselves to the teaching of the word, not neglecting the importance of God's written word to us. There are many folks who say, I and me and God are good. I can stay home, and God and I have this agreement. We've got this understanding. Ezra gives us the example of the proper view. Not only do we study it, that's getting to know God through his word, asking God for understanding, but the observance of it to apply it to our lives, then also to teach the word or to uh, observe the teaching or to sit under the, the teaching of the word of God. If I understand a passage, if I understand a verse, or if I understand a section of scripture, <clears throat> I'm going to apply it to my life. If I'm going to apply it to my life, I'm going to teach someone else, right? Um, As we get to know who God is through his word, as we apply the things of God to our lives, 
we should want to yearn to long to pass this down to the next group or the next generation, the next folks in our church or in our life or in our family, whatever, um, pass on those truths so that it continues, right? So there's more studying of the word. There's more applying of the word. There's more uh, teaching of the word of God. I believe that these three areas are monumental to the Christian walk. We are to study, we are to apply, and we are to pass down or teach what we have learned through Scripture. I want to shift gears here for a minute. Back in the day, I did this day in history on Thursdays, I believe. Uh, But I want to kind of jump back into that because there's some really cool things that happened on November the 14th in history's past. These are in no particular order. But in 1851, the book Moby Dick was published in the United States. 1851. Like, I didn't know how old it was, but there you go. Uh, 1969, Apollo 12 lifts off. Now, Apollo 12 is the mission. Uh, they, uh, I think I believe there's a second uh, group to land on the moon or to walk on the moon, but they also did a bunch of lunar orbits around the moon. Uh, Apollo 13, you'll know from the movie, uh, tragedy, they didn't get to land on the moon, and that was a big movie, Tom Hanks. But 1969, Apollo 12, Uh, takes off and does their thing around the moon. 1914, the Ottoman Empire declares a holy war. 1965, major battle erupts in the La Drang Valley, Vietnam. 1970, plane crash devastates Marshall University football team. Uh, There are a lot of movies. There's a lot of things about that, about the Marshall team. Um, It is a a memory uh, that a lot of folks carry with them even today. Here's a here's one that's interesting that I did not know that was today, but in 1882, Frank Leslie kills Billy the Kid. 1882. There are a lot of songs about uh, Billy the Kid. Uh, I miss Billy the Kid. I think that's what the name of that song was. But there's a Young Guns, the movie, uh, was a pretty good popular thing with Emilio Estevez. Um, but interesting, Billy the Kid. 1882. Uh, there's a couple more that I want to read. Uh, 1941, Alfred Hitchcock's Suspicion premieres. 1776. This one's interesting. English newspaper announces Benjamin Franklin has joined rebellion in America. The big thing with this article is 1775, Franklin uh, went to London, did some things. He came back, and as he was returning to America, the American Revolution uh, kind of was approaching Uh, He served as a delegate to the Continental Congress and in 1776 signed the Declaration of Independence, which, if you don't know, the Declaration of Independence was like the big kickoff uh, saying, hey, you know, we don't want to, we no longer want to fall under the rule of Britain. We want to form our own government. We want the right to choose our own government. And kind of want to read the kind of the beginning section of this. So there's a preamble and then there's, we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And that is the the big document that kind of kicks off the Revolutionary War. I am in awe of the, I guess, courage of the men who not only, I guess, wrote the Declaration, but they signed it uh, and they stood by it, right? We are still in... um, this, I guess, grand experiment of a republic, um, a democratic republic of these United States. And I have 
uh, or am serving uh, to protect and defend the Constitution of the United States. Um, and it all kicks off kind of back in the day, 1776. And I am thankful to God for the freedom that we have to live in the United States, a country that is uh, gives the right of freedom of religion so that we can worship God in freedom. We don't have to worry about um, tyranny or just, you know, uh, oppression uh, of religious, you know, worship. And so as you go about your midweek, right, I, w- I want to invite you to go to a church, find a church group that, that will love on you, that will encourage you to grow in your faith. Mount Moriah Baptist Church is one of those churches. And if you're close, if you're here in the area, we'd love to have you stop by and visit, and we'll give you information. Also, a free meal on Wednesday nights. We are continuing our series in the redemptive plan of God uh, this next Sunday. And we were, after this coming Sunday, we're going to be moving into the culmination of the redemptive plan. Uh, Jesus, Wednesday night, we were studying and we kind of asked the question, what is the redemptive plan? Why, why Jesus, things like that. And one of our ladies uh, shouted out, you know, because Jesus is plan A, right? Jesus is plan A from the beginning. Jesus is plan A. God tells Adam and Eve, he gives them encouragement. He gives them a hope of a future uh, king, uh, someone who's coming, right? Uh, Genesis 3.15, I will put enmity between you and your offspring. He will crush the head of the serpent, and the serpent will bruise his heel. This is the first announcement of the gospel, that this is the redemptive plan. God is going to send someone to crush the serpent, to fix the wrongs, to right the wrongs. Uh, and all throughout the Old Testament, we see the characters that come to play, the kings, the prophets, the judges, all these people God uses to uh, lead his people, but they're ultimately not the one. Uh, each person rises and falls or rises and, and kind of dies. Um, they're not the one to come to crush the serpent. Uh, they're all pointing to someone or something coming uh, in the days ahead, and as we get through the uh, the kings, the judges, the 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 kingdom, the split of the kingdom, the exile, and and now they're moving back into Jerusalem. And God tells them in Zechariah eight, "Hey, there's coming a future. There's going to be peace. There's going to be blessing. There's going to be this harvest." Right? Flip over to Zechariah chapter nine. And he says, "He's going to come riding on a donkey. Your king's coming. He's coming. He's on the way." And then you have 400 years of silence. I can't imagine 400 years of not hearing from God through the prophets like they had for centuries uh, before, thousands of years before God is using prophets uh, to speak to his people. And then there's 400 years of nothing, four generations, like just nothing. And then in the Gospels, the New Testament, the Messiah is born. John chapter one tells us that the word became flesh. God himself becomes flesh in human form to live the life that we couldn't to die the death that our sin deserves to raise again, showing he's conquered sin and death. And there's another promise. He is coming back. The question is, are you ready? Have you placed your faith and hope in Jesus? If not, why not love God? Love people, make disciples.